Welcome to the Grand Rapids Local History Podcast. I'm Matthew Ellis. I'm Jessica Kroll. And I'm Travis. We talk about the evolution of hospitals in Grand Rapids that led to the formation of the well-known Medical Mile, prominent Grand Rapidians such as the Claytor family, Grand Rapids' ties to polio eradication attempts, and a quick detour into cemeteries. We decided to talk about hospitals because they're really important. And uh, as of, well, relatively recently, uh, maybe maybe more folks have become aware of, of their importance as it uh, may have directly impacted them. So um, we thought it'd be a great opportunity to, to look at the history of, of hospitals and care within the city of Grand Rapids. Yeah, yeah. And the, the hospitals have been a really essential part of the city um, for a long time. So it, w- it would be a fair argument to say that perhaps they were essential centuries ago. Yeah, and I feel like one of the things that I think about when I hear Grand Rapids is medical mile. I mean, I... I'd never really visited Grand Rapids before I moved there. And um, a friend of mine, her parents were in a car accident and they got sent to Grand Rapids because they had some of the best hospitals in the state. So I think that's pretty significant. Yeah, uh, I live just a little outside of town and it's certainly the destination. You know, if you if you do something crazy uh, or something crazy happens to you, you your goal is to a not be sent to Grand Rapids, but if it's bad enough, you want to be sent there. There's a lot of skilled folks, um, yeah. a lot of uh, investment technology, and mm-hmm. uh, just really, really knowledgeable folks you want working on you. Um, how did we? How did we get to Medical Mile? Um, Matthew, is there was there kind of a some lead up to how Medical Mile came about? So it it, it kind of started um, with the formation of the Union Benevolent Association. Uh, which was formed in 1847, um, and it was to care for the sick in Grand Rapids that couldn't really afford it. It was kind of loosely organized, um, but then formally became the Union Benevolent Association in 1873. Um, and it was the the leader of that, the president of that was Miss um, F- um, Francis F. Cumming. Um, who is a who is a really influential um, civic leader here in here in Grand Rapids? So I'm gonna assume that that she was a she. And it's, yes, yep. Uh, fascinating that uh, 150 years ago, uh, she was able to to help people. <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> yeah, uh, a, a lot of the early uh, hospitals were started solely by women. Okay. Um, in the city. Um, so the, the, the union, uh, the union benevolent association basically helped with the poor and the sick, mm-hmm. uh, that, sorry, I, I cheated a little, I did a little Wikipedia-ing, which is the best way to learn almost nothing, but <laughs> enough for conversation, right? Um, but no, it looks like in the middle ages, hospitals, were just that, where there were almshouses for poor, um, hostels, hospital schools. Um, it seems like hospitals as a as a concept initially formed under helping people, basically, which I think is a a, a noble a noble way to to start an organization. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But we jumped from the Middle Ages to uh, 1847, so we it, it took Grand Rapids a little while a to become something that existed mm-hmm. and then 1847 was still well before the city's forming officially is that yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, 1850 was when the city incorporated as a city, so it was just before that. Um, I, I wonder if they're, I mean, if part of, so when you play the, the simulation games, like you can't become a city until you have X hospitals. And I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if there's some historical background in that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Uh... You shouldn't. There's no good reason <laughs> for you to know that. So um, after a while, uh, 1873, the Union Benevolent Association came about. Uh, mm -hmm. What happened then? Um, so it it was housed um, in in various houses for a while, but in um, 1886 it moved to the southwest corner of College and Lyon, um, and and that's when it really became a more of a professional medical organization. Okay, and and I'm trying to think. College and Lion. What the heck is there now? Uh, College and Lion. Just houses. Got it. Uh, I, I in my mind. Right yeah, that's uh, um, Fountain Elementary. Okay. I believe. Okay, so I'm completely wrong. It's not just residential. It's it's <laughs> it's it's the opposite of that. It's a school. <laughs> the very corner is the Grand Rapids Montessori oh. Public School. You know what? And I, then um, Central Campus. You're, oh you're yeah, yeah, yeah. Southwest corner. I was thinking southeast corner. Thank you. So uh, house to house, it, it was okay. I, I'd imagine these houses are beautiful houses that are uh, touchstones of mm -hmm. Heritage Hill at this point. So they were they were certainly more spacious than the house I'm sitting in now. Right, um, right. Uh, but after a while, they said, "Hey, you know, maybe we need something more permanent." Yeah, yeah, and um, it it's kind of interesting how loosely organized kind of the early hospitals were because it wasn't until 1890 that the first medical staff was actually appointed uh, for the Union Benevolent Association. Okay, so they operated for, for a very long time just as some organization creating comfortable spaces for people that needed comfortable spaces. Yeah. Okay. Do you know, was this a, a change nationally where n nationally hospitals were? Because I'd imagine they, if since the Middle Ages, they've been doing hospitality work. Um, there must have been some kind of evolution or progress. And do you think that was n nationwide as we started seeing medical staff being appointed? It, it might have been. Um, there, there was certainly, um, like Grand Rapids had a city physician for a long while. So I'm not sure if if that was the norm, and then they slowly moved in a more professionalized uh, staff sort of sort of uh, organization mentality for these organizations. Um, okay. it, it it certainly seems like that in Grand Rapids uh, with the various organizations, but I'm not sure if that's um, indicative of a na national trend. Okay. Okay. That's right. It, it, honestly, it might maybe one of the earlier examples of outsourcing where the city said, Hey, we don't actually need a doctor on staff right. anymore. We can have these wonderful hospitals take care of it. Uh, so, so the first, um, chief medical officer for the union benevolent association was Dr. Charles Shepard. And then, um, the two most noted board members were, Miss Wealthy M. Morrison and Miss Marion L. Withy. 
And those two were also uh, heavily involved with the founding of Mary Freebed. Oh, wow. It's interesting how those tie together. I, that's one of the things I love about listening to you. Tell me about what I'm asking about. <laughs> this is great. Um, yeah, more than anything, I, I like learning that stuff. Um, I, I know that there are both Wealthy Streets and Marion, uh, or Wealthy Street and Marion Street in Grand Rapids. Um, these are first names, and correct me if I'm wrong, these are first names of their husbands, or these are their first names? I think these are their first names. Because I think well, uh, Wealthy M. Morrison, I think she was married to um, somebody with the first name of, oh, what is it? Um, I think either Lafayette or Jefferson. There was, there's a, there's <laughs> a, there's like a story that um, I heard during one historical society talk where they they say that like one of the um roundabouts is symbolic of the wealthy um m morrison and uh, i th i think it's jefferson it is and, jefferson and, yeah yeah and their um love um cuz both those streets oh. were named after the other and the roundabout goes around and around yep that's nice. <laughs> Jeez. I I love it. Thank you for enlightening me. Yeah. Um, and Jess, somehow you knew about that. Where was I when that information was shared? Um, I just did a quick Google search Google search and found a local wiki all about Jefferson Morrison. Um he was one of Grand Rapids first merchants. Oh, cool. So Thanks, Internet. Oh, he, he built a mansion in 1836 near Monroe Center and Ionia or Ottawa. Um, so that's interesting. Oh, wow. Boy, that's some prime real estate right there. <laughs> right, right. Um, oh, shoot. I forgot what I was going to say. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> oh, he named three streets in Grand Rapids. What are what those were, three so streets? He named, he named Jefferson Avenue after himself. He... <laughs> named Wealthy Street after his second wife, Wealthy Davis Morrison, and Morrison Street, which no longer exists. Um, it was entirely removed between 1967 and 1970 as part of the Washington Square Urban Renewal Project, allowing for the expansion of St. Mary's Hospital and the building of Mary Freebed. Oh, wow. Get out. It was the first street north of Wealthy from Jefferson East to Lafayette. Okay. Huh. Look out, Matt. Jess is just gunning. gunning <laughs> no, I like that. that. That was that was awesome. Uh, yeah. My source is localwiki.org. So. Oh. You know what? I cool. I trust it. I think that sounds reliable. Yeah. So, Mary Freebed was was in essence grown from the footings of the the Union Benevolent Association, and it I mean it took some time. But maybe after 50 years, Mary Freebed comes together, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Mary Freebed started in 1891, and most of its supporters were also Union Benevolent uh, Association supporters. Okay, I'm, that's an important distinction. I'm glad you clarified <laughs> that. So where did we go from there? We've got Mary Freebed and 
is the Union Benevolent Association still around? Yeah, so um, it is now known as Blodgett, Blodgett Hospital. Um, yep, so uh, John W. Blodgett, who was a um, major major figure in Grand Rapids, who uh, worked in the lumber industry, he came from a very prominent, uh, the Blodgett family. He had his estate um, kind of on the border of Grand Rapids and uh, East Grand Rapids. And so he deeded a large piece of uh, land, 25 acres, um, to the Union Benevolent Association. And um, the hospital, uh, Blodgett Memorial Hospital, was named in memory of his mother, Jane Wood Blodgett. What a memorial. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I challenge anyone to find a hospital with a better view than yeah. this lake. It's, yeah. It's incredible. It is. Um, uh, oh, if anyone is able to accept that challenge and propose a better view uh, from a hospital, then uh, maybe they should email us at uh, Grand Rapids Local History Podcast at gmail.com. Definitely. <laughs> um, that uh, the ground of the hospital was... Um, broken in uh, 1914, um, and it took two years uh, for the, the hospital to open. Um, so yeah, the Union Benevolent Association uh, was the, the roots of Blodgett Hospital. Those roots grew into a fine tree um, that, that probably branched out even further, I would imagine, as, as we get a little closer to modern times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so we have Blodgett and we have St. Mary's. Where, where do we go from there? Uh, uh, do you know, were these competitors? I, I wouldn't imagine because so much of hospital work was considered hospitality and benevolent things of that nature. Do you, do you know, was there a competition or more support? I, I think it was more support because I think a lot of it, like St. Mary's, um, was also more of a um, charity hospital than the medical aspect. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I had here that St. Mary's Hospital, the first year that they were opened, they only recorded a profit of 65 cents. Oh my gosh. So. But in 1890 money, that was like $5. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's not overlook that. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so I, I kind of like how we've got kind of a, a south, east, west-ish uh, hospital, and we've got a far east hospital. And we're not to medical mile yet, but we're, we're narrowing we're close. our footprint, if you will. So, yeah. um, so, so bring us forward, move us forward a, a few years. What happens next? Um, so in the, in the 1890s, a, a lot of, uh, like St. Mary's hospital was established. Uh, Mary Freebed was established, um, two, uh, three years before 1890 Butterworth hospital was established. So that was kind of the, the main, main, uh, time when the hospital organizations kind of all started. Tell me about Butterworth. 
so Butterworth, uh, there was a local businessman, uh, Richard Edward Emerson Butterworth, um, and he kind of wanted to make his mark. And so he went to the city to um, say, I will donate $10,000 towards building a hospital uh, for the city, but the city declined. Um, and so there was a, a church member from St. Mark's Church, um, which is on Division, just before... Oh, what street is that? Oh, uh, it's not LaGrave. No. Um, it's a North North Division. Lion. Yes. It's between yeah. Lion and Fountain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a there's a church member there that convinced um Mr. Butterworth to donate um the money to St. Mark's because they had a house that they were um, caring for um, a few patients. Um, and so Richard Butterworth donated the 10,000 and um, the the woman, uh, E.P. Fuller, I'm, I wasn't sure of her first name, she convinced Butterworth to donate the money to the house. And so Butterworth Hospital on Bostwick um, was built. Uh, by the way, any guesses on 1987 or 1887, uh, $10,000 valued now? Oh, gosh. Over $250,000. So this is no small chunk of change. Wow. To me. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Mr. Butterworth didn't live to see the hospital completed. Uh, He passed away before it was finished. But in 1894, the name of the hospital was uh, changed to Butterworth Hospital in his honor. Okay. And where where did Butterworth, or where did uh, the hospital end up being built? We uh, so can s- safely say Medical Mile, correct? Yes, yes we can. Yep, it was on uh, Bostwick. Um, pretty, pretty much uh, where it is now. Yeah, yeah. What? Uh, that's crazy. So, so there is a really long history uh, that's this is something that I've appreciated is that there are some some real strong historical connect. Mm-hmm. This is something I've appreciated learning that there's a lot of historical connections to things like why is there a hospital there? Oh yeah, and um, in 1925, a new hospital was built at the same location by uh, with the help of funds donated by Mr. and Mrs. Edward Lowe, and. Mr. Edward Lowe married John Blodgett's sister, and he lived um, on the Aquinas College estate, kind of kitty corner to John Blodgett's estate. Hmm. Boy, all I know is that um, it, it's been it's been becoming harder and harder to find a nice place to live in Grand Rapids. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some great choice spots that have been taken yeah. for some time. So yeah. they're off the table. And um, Mr. Edward Lowe was also the grandson of Mr. Butterworth. So they all, all were kind of uh, connected to each other. That's really interesting. So before we go like too far forward into 
modern day, were any of the original hospitals like, I don't know, kind of like either underground or located in someone's house? Or are there any houses now maybe in um, Heritage Hill that used to be hospitals or funeral homes or something like that? Yeah, uh, St. Mary's started at at a home of... um... There was a lady, Mary McNamara. Uh, she donated her house, which was at was on uh, Lafayette Street Southeast, um, and she donated that home to St. Mary's. Okay. Um, I Jess, I thought that was going to be a trick question, and you were going to say actually, and then and then fill us all in. So. Oh no, I'm. I'm just, a little disappointed. I'm just... <laughs> that that Sorry, no, I'm just genuinely curious. <laughs> Um, I just there was... sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just know there's like in my hometown, there's a house that's rumored to be haunted because it was once like the local hospital as well as a funeral home. And there was a morgue in the basement. So, um, I didn't know if there was anything still like that on the radar in Grand Rapids. All great reasons to possibly be haunted. I think, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, during the Civil War, there was a, a few um, hospitals located in houses around uh, Central High School. The There was a house on Fountain Street, and then there was a house on Prospect um, that um, Civil War nurses uh, worked on. And then there was also, oh, I thought there was one more, but... That, those are the ones that I know of. I'd be interested to to see them. And I don't know. I want to know if they're haunted. I think that's cool. I bet they are. I'm sure there has to be some rental company or even individuals who maybe rent spaces in, in older spaces along Heritage Hill or maybe up on uh, by Central. and or, or even tenants. Like, dude, lived there for a while got out <laughs> like there has to be some of these yeah uh, let's uh let's do ghosts at some point or alleged that'd, that'd, that'd be fun ghosts. i think that'd be hilarious maybe we'll yeah. save that for, for the halloween uh for the halloween time or maybe just a little before halloween so people have a chance to go out and uh put some eyeballs on these places like a haunted house tour why not I, you know i'll i'll be back at the beginning of october i'll be back to grand rapids and I have always wanted to go on one of the Grand Rapids ghost tours. Yeah. So uh, I'll be there on probably a, like a Thursday or Friday night. So that's Make definitely a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool. I'll look into that. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, Matthew. There is, mm-hmm. through the Historical Society, there is also a, a rich, uh, oh, they've kind of done a lot of work exploring the rich history of cemeteries and, and the, the graves and gravestones. Oh yeah, uh, and yeah. monuments in in the city of Grand Rapids, and I think the pyramid is crazy. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> it's remarkable. There's actually a lot of like Egyptian symbolism in a lot of the um, cemeteries. Um, there's there's sphinxes and um, lots of different uh, um, Egyptian. Um, architectural aspects. Sounds like we have our autumn uh, our autumn lineup planned. Yeah, yeah. 
That's incredible. Wait, there's a pyramid in one of the cemeteries? Yeah. Uh, Eastern and Hall, maybe? Yeah, I think so. What is that? The one, the one where the, the tree planting was? That's correct. I believe it's in this... No, is it that one? No, it's further west where the actual... It's not Oak... It's not Oak Hill or Oakdale. It's further west than that. I believe it's... Yeah, I'm not sure where, but yeah, yeah, it's in that area, and it, it might just be this. It might just be the south version of that. We were in the north version, but good size. Yeah, sized. very cool. I would love to revisit this topic later in the year. I think that sounds like a great idea. But before you get to the cemetery and get your pyramid monument, um, <laughs> you probably pass through a hospital. Was that a good yeah. segue? Did I just tie us yeah. back? Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. That was great. <laughs> Nailed it. So we're up on uh, we're up on Bastwick, uh, the precursor to Medical Mile, maybe the original founder of Medical Mile. What uh, what happens from there? So it it started um, the St. Mary's Hospital is part of a um, kind of a network of hospitals run by the Sisters of Mercy which was uh, or is a religious group formed by uh, Catherine McCauley, I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, the Grand Rapids one was started in, started in 1893, and that, um, again, was uh, started at a house on Lafayette Street. The... They were really influential in opening a school for nurses. They they needed um, at at this time there was a lot more advances in understanding medicine, understanding diseases, and um, how how things spread. And so they really kind of systematically started teaching this. Um, the Main hospital opened in 1911 on the corner of Cherry and Lafayette, um, which I believe is still its location. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and so and that we, so we've yeah. gone south a little bit from Medical Mile. Yep, yep. Okay, south. excellent, perfect. Um, that had 75 beds. Uh, a, a lot of the hospitals measured their their uh, capacity by beds. Um, I think that makes sense because yeah. per bed you're going to need to scale up, you know, maybe half a person to, you know, staff for mm-hmm. custodial things and then X nurses per bed. It, it makes and sense, I guess. Medical equipment per bed sure, and stuff sure. like that. That in 1911, that hospital cost 65000 to build. Um, so I can't imagine what, what that's like uh, in today's today's money. But we don't, but we don't, we don't have to imagine. Do you have to yeah, yeah, that'd be great. There's no need to imagine, Matthew. I can tell you right now that it was right around $1.7 million. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And during uh, that time, World War One was about to start, and a lot of diseases like scarlet fever, polio, um, influenza were were running rampant um and saint mary's was really influential and their their school for nurses was really influential in helping to to fight those um those needs do we know of 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 how far like back in 
I say back in those days, but around the turn of the century in the 19, early 1900s, it wasn't terribly uncommon for someone to move across the country. And, and so I'm just wondering, do you know of any of these, these nurses that have gone through the training school, do you know how far they distributed? I mean, did they go overseas? Did they stay in regionally? Oh yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely went overseas. Um, okay. a few did go to, um, Europe, uh, to serve during world war one. Wow. So uh, Michigan is pretty, it's not a coastal community, but any stretch of the imagination yet it's able to to train up folks to go out and send them overseas. I think it's really neat how it may, maybe Michigan's overlooked in some of the, the neat things they did. Um, I know this this Civil War was fairly well supported by Michigan. And, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, training mm-hmm. school for nurses were able to distribute people across different continents. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really interesting. And uh, Mary Freebed also uh, aided in that um, they taught, um, they opened up like a clinic in a department store downtown, um, Wurzburg's, Wurzburg's department store, to teach people how to make um, dressings uh, for the Red Cross. And so they they took volunteers and they stayed in the clinic to to do that. Wow, that's, uh, I, I think it's neat to see different facets of life moving towards a common goal and you know we need surgical dressings here's how to do it yeah yeah we need nurses here's how we're going to do it I, I think that that unified approach moving in a, a positive direction I think is is, is interesting mm-hmm. Def- definitely a benefit for the community um, the the city commission proclaimed November 17th or the 20 November 24th uh, there was two conflicting uh, sources on that but they named it St Mary's Day uh, in 1917 for the work they performed for um, the the turbulent times of uh, World War one that's really cool yeah perhaps we'll revisit that this year yeah yeah in 1926 uh, St Mary's expanded again uh, at the same location. That brought their uh, capacity up to 220 beds, um, so they're they're quickly quickly growing. Do you know if that corresponds with the population increase of the city or the the metropolitan what is now the metropolitan area or was um, this just yeah I'm I'm sure yeah it seems to be logical yeah that and that that was the um, beginning of um, or in the midst of the Great Migration. Um, and uh, immigration, the wave, the the waves of immigration. So I'm mm-hmm. sure that that uh, it corresponded. Great information. Uh, in 1935, um, St. Mary's opened up um, nursing schools in uh, Bay City and Muskegon, and then they consolidated those in Grand Rapids with uh, establishing the Mercy Central School of Nursing. Um, so they kind of more formalized their uh, nurse uh, training school. I I really like that the two cities on the coasts, if you will, that, that they partnered with were Bay City and Muskegon, neither of which would be considered to most as like these formative cities. But historically, in that context, they, they were fairly up and coming at that time. 
I think it's important to to recognize the history of cities like that and like Flint. Yeah. Where, you know, our our current concept of, you know, 20, 30 year history is it's not the whole picture. And I don't know that even backing up to 1935 would necessarily encompass the full picture. But I, I mm-hmm. like that wider lens. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, it, Schuler Books has a Mercy Central School of Nursing history book uh, that covers 1898 to 1986. Oh, cool. Wow. Thanks, local bookstore. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know it went that uh, went that far. What you said 1986. Yes. Wow, I didn't know it lasted that long. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I don't see any previews to read um, anything, or I, I just a quick Google search didn't tell me why it ended. But yeah, it looks like it it ended in eight or nineteen eighty six. That's cool. Economic times were tough in eighty six. That's for sure. Yeah, the uh, um, we mentioned the Greater Grand Rapids Women's History Council in uh, the suffrage episode. They they did a, a really fantastic program on um, nursing um, a while back. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, they produced, it looks like they produced 3,336 nurses uh, in the 88 years that it was in existence. That's a that's a pretty good average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, St. Mary's uh, is also um, well-known uh, and renowned for hiring one of the first, if not the first, um, there are some conflicting sources. Um, African American physician in the city of Grand Rapids, uh, Robert Clater. And what year was that? Uh, 1936. Okay, so they had been open for some time. Mm-hmm. Founded by by women, and it took some time. Um, this, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was not because there were not skilled African-American physicians before 1936. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a fair statement. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. But um, I, I, my guess is also that 1936 may, may be significantly earlier than some other parts of the country where, you know, again, Grand Rapids is kind of in this weird place where we're not a coastal town, we're not deep south. Um, we're not the, 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 the West of mm-hmm. the Dakotas. And so we kind of had a, a chance to be, do our own little thing. And, um, yeah, to me, that's probably ahead of some maybe neighboring, uh, areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Robert Clater was, was really renowned, uh, because he co-founded the urban league, um, and his wife, Helen Clater, who is now in the, um, Women, Michigan Women's Hall of Fame, she became the first African-American president of the Grand Rapids uh, YWCA chapter, and then the first president uh, or the first African-American president of the national YWCA organization. And for those who want to learn more about her, they can visit her statue, which is near uh, GRCC. Yeah, right downtown. Fine statue. Yeah, um, uh, that couple was uh, they they knocked a, a lot of firsts off of the list, and and that list is not it's certainly not gr- grown shorter over the years. But uh, but they were both as influential as the other uh, in Grand Rapids around that time. Very very yeah, very wonderful people. And so I, I think uh, St. Mary's Hospital uh, was was really forward. Um, 
I think, ahead of a lot of the other uh, medical institutions around the area. Um, and they kept growing, and they're still there today. Um, in 1953, uh, a new addition was added, and I believe a new addition was added more recently. Um, but I didn't find out when that was. Yeah, I think you're right, and I don't remember the uh, I don't remember the year either. I know that they're they're still maybe short on parking. Yeah, in that, in that area. <laughs> yes, uh, that's, yes, so they some are. Some things haven't changed, but I know they've explored some options there. And they're they're pretty close to um, Mayor Freebed, uh, the new Mayor Freebed um, facility that was constructed within the last couple of years. Uh, they're just geographically close. They're not um, foundationally right. close. Yeah, not, not 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 foundationally close. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Just geographic. Um, maybe a stone, like maybe literally a stone's throw away. I don't know who's throwing the stone. <laughs> oh yeah, well I think they share. Um, Get close. <laughs> I do. Yeah, because you can you can go into the the cafeteria. Uh, the archives is close enough um, that sometimes Tony and I will go to the um, cafeteria there to get lunch and the the cafeteria for saint mary's and mary freebed i believe is connected well that makes sense yeah um your experience with the cafeteria food pretty good yeah you know that uh, a number of years ago i had an opportunity to work near a hospital um outside of grand rapids but uh in the hospital um, but i was near the cafeteria and and i was pleasantly surprised uh specifically the cafeteria food maybe not the patient food but the cafeteria food was really really delicious and, mm-hmm. and, uh, i thoroughly enjoyed it and they had this dessert it was uh, nothing special but it was like banana pudding and vanilla wafers what a great dessert yeah <laughs> that also might highlight my dutchness um, i don't think that a meal is over if you're with uh dutch people until you've had your dessert and if you don't have a dessert um, that might just, be the last meal you host. Does it just Gotta, keep continuing the, the meal until that dessert puts and you, maybe you can say, okay, I've got like some coffee cake and coffee and they'd say, okay, that works. But yeah, there needs to be some kind of uh, finalization of that casserole. You just ate. It's usually dessert. That's funny. I'm not even Dutch and I agree with those beliefs. <laughs> so that's how I ended my meal was, was with that dessert. So, so uh, in regards to Mary Freebed, uh, we stated that it was a group of Union Benevolent Association kind of members that uh, that kind of started Mary Freebed, and the the concept was that when um, the Union Benevolent Association stopped solely providing for the poor, um, kind of Mary Freebed kind of took that up and um, provided free beds to those who couldn't afford it. Uh, so they so they did this within the Union Benevolent Association uh, building. Um, and the the two most prominent supporters were Marion L. Withy, um, who was uh, influential in starting uh, kind of formally formally, professionalizing the Union Benevolent Association, and uh, Mary McQuowen. They they put an ad in the um, paper um, 
to ask for donations by anybody who knew someone named Mary. Um, and so that's, that's where the, the name Mary Freebed came from. That's, that's to me from like an advertising perspective, that's incredible. That's a hook. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's really great. I, 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 it tickles me pink. And back then it was a super common name. So the odds that you knew someone named Mary were, were very high. Yes, um, it was not called the the Rosamond. Right, <laughs> right, right. And I did not just pick that name out of a hat, which right. would have been a strange name to be in a hat. Anyway, that's true. Uh, Rosamond Rouse was one of the uh, prominent guild members. That they created a, a committee at first to oversee um, the the fundraising for the free beds, um, and then it turned into a a formal guild. And so Rosamond Rouse was one of the guild members, and she eventually became one of the uh, presidents of the guild. Um, and then Estelle Wolf was one of the other more prominent members. The The guild was was actually really influential in Grand Rapids. Uh, they put on uh, concerts in downtown to raise money um, and, and brought some pretty big names. They did uh, trainings, so they worked with the Grand Rapids Fire Department uh, to put on uh, safety trainings, stuff like that. Um, of course, during during World War One, they they worked with the uh, uh, Red Cross and actually organized uh, a Red Cross auxiliary office, um, and that was in the the department store. Uh, Wurzburg department store. You, uh, where was that located, or is that still located? I've I've heard obviously of of Herpelsheimers, which everyone talks about, but I've not heard of Wurzburg. Um, that was on Monroe. Uh, center, I believe. I think it was in the same building. Yes, it was in the same building uh, that Herpelsheimers occupied. Um, wow. Yeah. Hmm. So it looks like it looks like Wurzburg's was there first, and then uh, Herpelsheimers um, occupied it. And later, later. Mackey's yes. Mackey's World also. Uh, yeah, yeah. Occupied it later. Neat. That's a great little spot. A lot of history. Um, yeah. When um, the Union Benevolent Association, when they formally became Blodgett Memorial Hospital, um, Mary Freebed kind of split with them. They had to make some tough choices as to whether or not continuing. Um, it, it sounded from, from their history like the Blodgett Memorial Hospital wanted to kind of formally contract with them for the the free beds and they weren't sure whether or not they should do that or go off on their own. So they went off on their own and that's when they started the Red Cross Auxiliary. Um, and then they also started working more with kind of what they're known for today and that's um, kind of physical handicaps and um, back then it was working with uh, children who were suffering physical handicaps. So, so those who uh, had been afflicted by polio, people who had, uh, yeah. So, so they focused more on like orthopedic um, type uh, medicine. Yeah. And like you, you said, it's certainly well known for rehabilitation. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
remarkable what what facilities of that nature can do. Yeah. Uh, so so they kind of, they operated uh, a house for um, children who needed orthopedic means, uh, orthopedic treatment. Uh, for a while, they operated solely a transportation system that would bring children to hospitals for orthopedic care. Uh, a few years later, they did start working with Blodgett Hospital again, and they worked with uh, a really renowned doctor, uh, John T. Hodgins, uh, to create a um, weekly orthopedic clinic in 1920. Uh, yeah, I have some information here on polio. Um they were really influential in helping to tackle the, the polio um, crisis. Uh, it, I found that uh, polio was the more prominent um, cause of um, uh, paralysis for children. Um, so uh, infantile paralysis was the single largest cause of dis disability in uh, the patients that Mary, the Mary Freebed Clinic uh, treated. And of the hundred or so patients that they treated in the first clinic, 25 had polio. So about a quarter of the patients suffered from polio. And so the uh, Mary Freebed and um, the Dr. John T. Hodgins worked really closely with um, those that oversaw the um, polio vaccine actually. Wow. Um, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. So the, the clinic did grow though. Um, uh, by 1922, it had 555 patients. Um, the schools also worked with Mary Freebed to establish, um, departments within the school to treat, uh, and teach, um, children who had orthopedic, uh, problems. Um, we have a blueprint at the city archives of Eastern Elementary, and they have they had a whole orthopedic uh, almost floor that was dedicated to teaching and providing spaces where children who had physical disabilities could learn. And and prior to that, they you know their options were if if they couldn't maneuver around a school, they wouldn't go. And so, so they set up uh, orthopedic departments at Stocking Elementary, um, Eastern Elementary, and uh, the Board of Education wrote of the um, Stocking Elementary orthopedic department that uh, there is every reason to believe that we now have one of the best equipped and most successful schools for crippled children in the country. Um, so it was, it was really on the on the forefront of providing a, a, a better education, a more uh, equitable education for, for handicapped children. To the, to the best of your knowledge, was, was, any of that, uh, was any of that care or that instruction mandated by the state or federal requirements? Or was uh -huh. this just the thought that just because this child may not be able to learn in the way that child does, doesn't mean they shouldn't learn? Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't see any any reference um, to any any state guidelines or any federal guidelines that that brought upon this uh, uh, change? This would more more than likely have been older humans realizing that younger humans may have a value, and we're going to yeah. do what we can to take care of them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That I, is I think... a a novel concept. 
Yeah, yeah, I think, and and I think uh, the Mirror Freebed really had a hand in in bringing that bringing that out uh, into the community. Wonderful, I applaud that. Oh, oh, so I here here we have uh, another house that was operated as a, a treatment facility. Uh, Mayor Freebed operated um, a house on uh, East Fulton for um, treatment of children. Um, and then after that, they moved into the D.A. Blodgett building on Cherry Street, which was um, purchased by the I think it, it was purchased by the ICCF and um, renovated back to um, its original original building. It's a it's a gorgeous building. Yeah, yeah, it's it is a, a remarkable landmark in that area for sure. But at one point in time, yeah, it has a fairly that, that specific building has a fairly rich history, does it not? Or a, fair, a varied history, perhaps not rich. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was donated by um, uh, the Blodgetts to Mary Freebed, and they they operated there um, from 1934 to 1976. Wow. Um, yeah. So quite a quite a while. They they had a, they built a front addition onto it so they had knocked we have these great um or i think it's the uh the library that has these great images um i mean they're 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 kind of sad but of the uh, pillars the two giant pillars on the front that were knocked down um to to build the the front addition but now those are back they're back yeah they look great yeah very impressive it's a cool building I've, i've always wanted to take a tour of it but uh Never. I can never. I can put you in touch with the right people. Cool, cool. That'd be fun. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Mary Freebed moved. Um, Jess, you laughed like I like I couldn't put him in touch with the right people on that. I don't know why I laughed. I think I was looking at something <laughs> on Google. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> You're like, no, he doesn't know. Travis, I'm gonna hold well. you to that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mark my words. I can at least put you in touch with him. And, Cool. I wash my hands there. Okay. But uh, but I can at least put you in touch. Cool. Um, sorry, they, sorry yeah. to interrupt. I was just no, uh, no I wanted worries. to point out the fact that uh, <laughs> <laughs> and to defend your honor. Apology accepted, <laughs> as you were. So they did end up leaving the building. Um, they left in 1976 uh, when they built a larger facility on Wealthy Street, uh, which is their location now. They uh, moved the patients. They had like a parade almost of patients where, uh, the patients stayed in there cause they were, they were handicapped patients and, um, orthopedic patients. And so they stayed in their beds and were wheeled down wealthy street from, um, I, th- I think first down cherry, um, and then over to wealthy and then down wealthy to the new hospital. Um, and so we have these great photos of of this procession of oh, uh, patient beds and stuff. I love it. To me, that could have not that could have been maybe the most exciting day of of these kids' lives, right? Right, right. Uh, you're outside, you in a hospital bed, and I'm guessing volunteers, like you said, in, a, in this yeah. parade route fashion, are taking you to your new home mm-hmm. down Cherry Street, down Wealthy Street. Um, yeah. What a really unique thing to to participate in. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's maybe similar to what the first responders do. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but they do it at uh, the 
a children's hospital with the the lights and the sirens from their from their vehicles. Oh yeah, no. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's different. They don't get to go outside during that, but I imagine it's, you know, it makes them feel good. They got to go outside and, and like Travis said, it's probably a really good day. Yeah, uh, a special a special moment in in an otherwise perhaps uh, more difficult life than 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 most folks could imagine. So mm-hmm. in uh, the the new building, they they did move more towards um, more widespread orthopedic care and more um, uh, rehabilitation work, um, but they've been at that location. Uh, for for quite some time now, since 1976, and they just within the last, I think, 10 years, uh, maybe even within the last five, uh, built a new facility that's pretty state of the art. I would expect nothing less. It sounds like yeah. they've always been on the cusp. I had I had a family member. Uh, my uh, uh, dad worked as part of the construction team that built the facility. And so he would take me on tours of, of the, of the construction site when we were walking through it uh, and when it was being, when it was being constructed. So that was pretty cool to see the, see the process. That's a, nice. that's a, yeah, that is really, that's a nice point that you make as well, because undoubtedly incredibly skilled physicians and support staff define that how you will. I'm sure it's mm-hmm. from IT to x-ray technicians. Um, are, are are making really great use out of this facility, but it's someone who knows how to mix concrete correctly at a concrete factory. Right. It, it it's it's folks that know how to operate cranes mm-hmm. from seventy five feet up or whatever the case might be. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm I'm really I I always have appreciated folks that that do the work that's unnoticed an archivist perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I think it's it's so interesting because in essence they they literally and figuratively lay those the foundation for that greater good that might last from 19 whenever to 1976 or from 1942 till it, it, I just think it's really interesting uh, that it, it truly is a, this really great group of folks that mm-hmm. all come together from yeah. all different walks of life and skill sets and. You know, if you've got a master plan, it, it just comes back to that. You know, we're we're moving in the same direction as a group of humans to accomplish a task. And and to me, folks like your dad are as mm-hmm. important as mm-hmm. the person supplying the IT services. I, I, right. I, it's really interesting and, and certainly overlooked uh, from my perspective. I mm-hmm. th- thank yeah. you to your dad. I he I'm I'm sure he'll appreciate it. But yeah, I yeah, a lot of that is is just such a culmination of of many hands. So that kind of brings us up to speed. There was uh, also Metro Health that was started a little later. That was 1942, um, and it's a osteopathic hospital. Do either of you know what osteo? I was I was just gonna say just where you on Google on that one. Uh, it sounds familiar osteopathic sounds medicine. like it's in the woods like it's peaceful <laughs> down this pathic to the lake oh boy um sorry my Go- i'm not googling very fast uh i'm guessing bones it's to do with bones joints muscles and spine okay do i take partial credit for that yes yeah yeah that i think bones are included in joints and spine 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that started in 1942. Um, uh, it was formed by a small group of osteopathic physicians, and it started with 28 beds. A few years, um, about 15 years later, it relocated to 1919 Boston Southeast, and then the name was changed in 1985 from the Grand Rapids Osteopathic Hospital to Metropolitan Hospital, and then uh, recently in 2005, it was changed to Metro Health. And even more recently, it uh, partnered with the University of Michigan. Oh, is that that? Uh... But yeah, I'm pretty sure that Metro Health, I don't know, just a few years ago. I'm pretty sure they're connected. There's the um, the Metro Health off of M6 yes. uh, with the Michigan logo. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure when that happened. Um, no more than two or three years ago. Oh, cool. Um, uh, in On Medical Mile around 1996, um, Blodgett Memorial Medical Center and Butterworth Health um, merged to form Spectrum. Someone got the better end of that deal when when they got those hospital beds overlooking Fisk Lake. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I also I also wanted to note um, that um, in 1999, Spectrum uh, opened the Renucci House. Have either of you heard of the Renucci House? No, I have. But I would like you to tell us about it. Sure. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, it's a place um, where families who have a patient who has to be hospitalized for long periods of time can stay. Um, it's, it's operated, uh, by charity. Um, and so it's kind of a, a home away from home, uh, for families and they have like a, like full kitchens and stuff. And, um, so community groups will often, uh, do like service projects where they go and cook meals for the, for the families, um, that are staying there. I used to do that in Girl Scouts with the Ronald McDonald house. Oh, and, yeah, and, yeah, cool. yeah. We'd go to Lansing and uh, we'd, I, I can't remember exactly what we did, but I know we'd cook them a meal and prep some stuff for them in the fridge and mm -hmm. clean the house and stuff. It was a really cool experience. Cool. I'm a little jealous. No one has asked me to date to cook for them or for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> is there, is that. there a reason for that? Uh, yet to be determined. Yet to be determined. <laughs> Travis, your your bot. What is it? Your bon me. The the appetizers oh, the little, that you would. Yeah. The, yeah, those are good. Yeah. So those, I, I will take some credit for that. Um, although that was a recipe that was inspired by another recipe that we had made. Um, C does all the menu planning. Not all the menu planning, but she does a really great job at at planning menus. And and this was. A delicious sandwich and then we had leftovers but no buns and so we just kind of made that appetizer delightful so that that's kind of uh up to the present day with uh medical mile medical mile keeps growing um in 2019 it was officially recognized as medical mile by the city of grand rapids and oh that's cool. members members of i don't know if it's an association or just members with similar mailing addresses got together and said hey we'll pay for the street signs um, you know, they're not official street signs. They weren't official street signs, but now they're officially recognized by the city. And I believe you can send mail to Medical Mile and it will 
That's find cool. Its, find hmm. its way there. That's I, really I, cool. Uh, speaking of dropping things in the mail and having them find their way there without like a quote proper address, um, I was going through some stuff in, in in our barn and I was throwing some things away. And one of the things I found was a, a keychain and D and W before it was a Spartan store. I believe it's a Spartan store now. Um, I could be mistaken on that, but bef- before some mergers happened with with grocery stores, D and W had this thing where you could put it on your keychain, and then if you dropped your keys somewhere someone could find them and put them in a mailbox and then it would oh wow by the magic of dnw find its way back to your house and i had put some fake keys well they were real <laughs> keys but they were not they were not important to me um not important keys onto a keychain dropped them in the mail and, and uh for some reason i had them i don't know why i still have them but it worked that's cool <laughs> that's that's how i imagine medical mile mail works is it just gets there gets there DW is somehow involved. Really- <laughs> um, so, so Grand Rapids had a uh, um, kind of a hospital complex uh, built in 1887 for contagious diseases. So they had like scarlet fever, they have had uh, diphtheria, and they had polio um, and influenza. Um, and so they built these kind of like isolation isolation hospitals um, where people could go to kind of get treated for these, um, but just kind of to be a way uh, to kind of socially distance themselves from the community to stop the spread. And this was in in the late 1800s, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So so um, that's uh, the late 1800s is when they started this. Uh, the city of Grand Rapids had a city physician that – was kind of um, at the head of this, uh, but they he was employed, uh, or a city physician was employed starting in 1857. Uh, but then nurses worked at the uh, the isolation hospitals, um, and those were located um, off of Fuller, um, just north of the highway. So right where the, the, the Kent County, what I'm guessing the city of Grand Rapids physician turned into something like the Kent County Health Department. Which yeah, is, yep. Mm-hmm. Which is there. Yep. And so uh, during the 1910s and 1920s, they had people working. Uh, scarlet fever and influenza were definitely the worst. Um, but even during um, the Civil War at the hospitals, uh, nurses, uh, the, kind of those first responders back then um, were in danger of uh, succumbing to kind of the the diseases that they treated. Um, I found one really um, kind of touching, sad uh, story about a nurse at the Civil War Hospital, um, uh, uh, Lucia Johnson, um, who it says she literally gave her life to the soldiers that she was treating um, because she contracted uh, pneumonia while she was on duty at the hospital. But... Um, and that happened quite a lot um, at the city hospital as well. And that um, was in uh, Lucia. Is that how you pronounced? Uh, yeah, I think. Lu- yeah, Lucia. I think is how that uh, is pronounced. Okay. okay. Uh, I, I see you noted her as a Mrs. Is that a, is that a fair? Yeah. Yep. Um, so so she quote literally gave her life end quote to that to help that soldier and. Mm-hmm. 
it, it's fair to say she left behind a significant other spouse. Yeah. It's fair to say she had family of some mm-hmm. type. So she literally gave her life, but also in doing so through caring for that patient, she left behind family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't just this one nurse. It was this nurse and then her circle of loved ones and family and friends. Um, I think those are important to point out that it's not just that individual who gave right. her life. It, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's quite a sacrifice. Right. And, and, and this is just one noted story of, of something that probably happened a lot back then. Um, you know, sanitation and the need to sterilize things wasn't uh, very, very well known. Um, yeah, this was during the Civil War. Yeah. You know, bite a bullet, dump some whiskey on it. Yeah. yeah good luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but even, I mean, even in 1917, uh, we, we've got a story of uh, another nurse, Clara Hatcha, who contracted um, uh, an infection working in the Scarlet Fever isolation ward. Um, so this, this happened quite a lot. Um, so this nurse was working in the Scarlet Fever ward. Mm-hmm. knowing that every time she went to work, she was next to and caring for probably changing bedpans. Oh, yeah. Being mm-hmm. someone for these these individuals mm-hmm. to be cared by. Um, every day she went to work, she knew that she was working in the Scarlet Fever Ward, mm-hmm. and yet she did it. Fascinating. Yeah, it's got to take so much courage. I, I can't even imagine Um the the amount of of courage that that these these nurses um, had, yeah, uh, undoubtedly more so than me. There's no doubt. I don't have yeah, any. the uh, in uh, 1918, uh, Grand Rapids had its first case of the uh, Spanish influenza uh, in October on October 15th. Uh, the city manager at the time. Um, called up uh, attention to the possibility of uh, epidemic in the city uh, from the Spanish influenza and suggested some steps um, to kind of meet that disease, meet that virus. And so they, so, they took pre- preparations. Okay. So this was a citywide response. Yep. And in it, this probably has not changed. I don't believe it's changed. In 1918, it was still, there was still a city manager and a mayor, mm-hmm. but it's, strong manager week mayor formation of government correct yeah and that was that was recent um i think that form of government came about uh in grand rapids in about 1912 sometime in that area okay okay um interesting yeah that that the city manager says we need a citywide response to this. Mm-hmm. And so they took preparations uh the uh i forgot to write it here but the May 1919 annual report of the Department of Public Welfare, which encompassed uh, kind of the city hospital and the city um, Department of Health, um, noted that their response to the Spanish influenza um, epidemic should be congratulated because because they really were able to lessen the, the impact of it um, in the city of Grand Rapids. Um, and so, they, yeah. So one less nurse like Claire Hatcha, uh, or, or Lucia Johnson had to pass away by mm-hmm. taking care of these individuals. Um, 
and again, citywide response because of an epidemic mm-hmm. in 1918. Yeah, and and yeah, it was it was the same for polio. I mean, uh, in polio had been a problem for for a long time. Um, Grand Rapids started a uh, knockout polio drive in September of 1916. Um, six cases were reported in Kent County. Um, and it kind of alarmed people. Uh, and so the the whole community got together uh, and 68 vaccine stations were set up at various schools and churches and uh, organizations and businesses throughout Grand Rapids and Kent County. And then vaccines were administered. And it was made free uh, for everyone under the age of 18. And adults were asked to give uh, 25 cents to receive the vaccine. How did that? How did that go about? How uh, was this relatively successful? Yeah. Um, so three three hundred and twenty thousand people participated. Um, that uh, I saw that it was uh, about eighty six percent of the county's population. Wow. And and uh, six hundred or no sixty thousand dollars were raised. It, it sounds like uh, people donated far more than than what uh, was asked of them. And participated far more in what was asked of them, so uh, a, a, a very strong community response. It's, it seems like. Well, just a quick correction: is uh, it looks like it says 1963, not 1916. But um, it's kind of crazy because I, I mean, my parents were around then, so that's something that my family may have participated in. Uh, the family that I had that lived in Kent County at the time. So, getting into like newer history of things mm-hmm. that directly relate to us and 86 percent that's uh that's solid i mean those those reach herd immunity numbers in essence a lot of people happen very quickly um and 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 at this point in time and these numbers may have changed relatively recently but you know polio is 99.x percent uh gone in the world yeah, uh, and I I think that has seen an uptick as of late. Wow, sixty thousand uh, dollars and three hundred and twenty thousand participants. That is a significant number um, for for Kent County, and it kind of gives you an example of how Kent County was starting to, or you know, was continuing its growth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from the early nineteen hundreds with you know hospitals with twenty hospital beds to to now, obviously there's no hospital beds, but you know, three hundred twenty thousand people participating in reached effectively by um, um, hospital workers, healthcare workers. Especially considering, I mean, today's population of Grand Rapids is about 200,000, and it's a majority of the Kent County population, so that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. What, Matthew, is the metropolitan population of Kent County? Are you aware of that off the top of your head? I believe it peaks over a million. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's like 1.2 million or something. Okay. Um, we might be stealing a few people from Ottawa County at that point, but um, who needs uh, that? In 2019, the population of Kent County was 656,955. Oh. We were so way we off. Are, well, I, I think that the that is, as it's defined, I think it does include some Ottawa County, and I think the oh. metropolitan area does. I, I, I want to say it's over a million. So uh looks like the Grand Rapids Kentwood Metropolitan Statistical Area has 
988,000. I, I, once again, thank you, Matthew. Uh, I know that when you send topics or we talk about topics, we pick a word, hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and to dig in and to, to see what, what information mm -hmm. you can pull out. Um, and, and Jess, for your, for your quick Googling, um, I, I think it's really interesting to, to learn about something again that seems really simple on the surface and, and ends up having this really deep and rich history um, of, of taking care of people who could not afford it, people who uh, uh, had differing abilities. I, I love it. I think it's a, a rich history, and mm -hmm. um, I, th I think that that wide lens is really important um, from a historical perspective, especially today. I, I, again, definitely appreciate you, you pulling these together. Happy to. Nice. Sounds awesome. Cool. Do we want to do a trailer off Yandy or not? I'm indifferent. We, yeah, we can. We can. Yeah, I I like that. Yeah. It is fun. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that we're like, it's fun, but then after a while, it you have to do it, and then you're like, oh, is it still fun? I always I always like forget what what we talked about when we started trailing off, and so I always like to listen to that part, <laughs> I, I like again and i think it's really funny uh